This evening we're continuing our journey of faith through the book of Romans. We're going to read Romans 8 verses 26 to 30 tonight. I'm going to focus mostly on the uh, verses 28 and 29, but I wanted us to read the couple verses before that so we kind of see where Paul is coming from. This is God's word for us, his people, this evening. Let's read. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is God's holy and infallible word for us, his people. For the last few days, my family and I were at a family reunion sort of thing, celebrating one of my grandfather's 80th birthdays. And as part of that, my grandfather wrote out a few memories he had. And one of the things that he mentioned in there was when he was growing up as a child. He grew up in the Netherlands during World War II, so a lot of his childhood was spent in the midst of a pretty war-torn, troubled country. And he talked about how he just loved going to church in those days. He loved going to church. The churches were full, the prayers were passionate, the praises were sincere, and the scriptures really, really spoke. There were promises in the Bible that really came to life in those hard times. Now, my grandpa didn't mention Romans 8 specifically, but Romans 8.28 is one of those verses that really come to life for a lot of us in hard times. This is a text a lot of us go to for comfort. It's one of those verses that gets framed and hung up on our walls. It's often a text that comes up at funerals. This, this passage, especially verse 28, is a deeply meaningful and significant text. But it's also kind of a challenging one. We who follow Jesus deeply believe and wholeheartedly affirm that God is working all things together for our good. But day by day, week by week, it can be really hard to see how that's actually happening. We know God is at work, but it's hard to figure out how he's working and what he's up to. There's a lot of times in life when we say, how in the world is God working this together for the good? How can this verse make sense? It's assuring, it's comforting, it's true, we hold on to it, but what does it really actually mean? So let's talk about that tonight. And I think one of the first steps we need to really understand Romans 8.28 is to understand some things that this verse doesn't actually say. First, Romans 8.28 does not tell us that in all things God works for the ease and pleasure of those who love him. Sometimes we read these verses as if it says that God will only allow pleasant things to happen to us. We can read them and think, well, this must mean that I'm always going to understand the reason for everything that happens in my life. 
And sometimes people even read this verse and say, well, if God is working through all things, that must mean that as a Christian, I'm going to have an easy, fulfilling, happy life. But that's not what this verse says. Romans 8 does not tell us that God is at work to give us everything that we want. The Bible does not tell us that God grants our every wish or fulfills our every earthly desire. A few years ago, a couple of prominent sociologists did a big survey of the religious beliefs of young people in America, and they found that the, tr the actual functional religion of most Americans from about 20 to 35, I think is what they surveyed, is what they ended up calling moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic. God is going to be more or less happy with me if I'm more or less good. You know, I got to kind of keep the rules and kind of do the right thing, and that'll keep God happy. Therapeutic. If I do what God wants, God will do what I want. If I have trouble in my life, I can go to God, and he'll fix it for me. God is kind of like your butler. You know, I call on God. He does what I want him to do. I thank him for services rendered, and he disappears until I want him again. It's hard for us living in this time and age not to have our functional religion be moralistic, therapeutic deism. That's something we have to push back against because it's so much a part of our culture and our worldview. But in the storyline of the Bible, we don't see this God of moralistic, therapeutic deism. In the storyline of the Bible, following God is just as likely to bring more earthly suffering rather than less. The Old Testament prophet, prophets were endlessly mocked, attacked, persecuted, and rejected. Jesus himself was rejected and even executed. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, was beaten up all the time, chased away. He got in shipwrecks. He got locked up in prison all kinds of times, and he ended up being executed. As Christians, we should not expect life to be easy for us. In fact, as Christians, we should probably expect all the normal suffering of life in this world, plus the suffering that we experience because the devil and the world hate our Lord, and so it, they will hate us too. For many, many years, our nation has been blessed with tremendous peace and prosperity. We've been blessed with tremendous religious freedom, with a culture that was either neutral or even friendly toward our values. In some ways, I think this made us as American Christians complacent. We've come to assume that our lives should be easy. We've come to assume that our culture should just accept what we say as believers and more or less go along with it. We've come to accept that we should be comfortable. And however much that may have been true in the past, it seems like it's likely to be less true in the future. It is likely that being a Christian here is going to become harder rather than easier in the days ahead. But we should never have expected to be free from suffering in this life. Many Christians around the world look at us in America and they find it incomprehensible that we should ever have expected to be free from suffering as Christians. For people who decide to follow Christ in Africa, in India, in China, in the Middle East, in so many places around the world, to belong to Jesus is to suffer. 
Now in the end, we do know that God will make all things right. But if we follow Christ, we should not expect easy lives. The Bible does not promise us that. So Romans 8 doesn't tell us that everything that happens to us will be pleasant because God is working in our lives. But neither does it say that everything in this world is good. Romans 8.28 doesn't say everything is good because God is at work in your life. It says in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Sometimes as Christians, we feel this compulsion to always be nice, to always look on the bright side, to always find the silver lining. Sometimes we're scared to say anything negative. We steer away from the hard stuff at the center of our lives. We kind of just skate over the surface with each other. We put on our happy church faces because we're church people, and church people trust God, right? Sometimes we're scared to death of not looking okay and scared to death of bringing our questions to God and to each other. We're frightened that if we say something not quite right, people are going to judge us. We're scared that if we say, I am really struggling with this thing, that it'll seem like we don't really believe in God. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we put up our false fronts, and if that gets to be too exhausting, we maybe don't go to church sometimes. Or if it gets to be too much to deal with, we just stop coming to church entirely. We really struggle as suburban North American Christians with affirming our deep faith in Christ and also being able to say there are a lot of things in the world and in my life that are not okay and not good. But Romans 8 doesn't tell us to put up false fronts. It doesn't tell us to pretend that everything is okay in the world. We don't need to carry that burden. Romans 8 tells us that life is often hard and often miserable. It tells us that all of creation is groaning. Things are broken. The whole world is in pain. Creation is groaning, and we are groaning with it. As Christians, we don't need to pretend that this is a nice place to be. We don't need to pretend that everything is good or that things somehow work together for the good by themselves. We don't need to believe that the world is a nice, safe, sweet place. If you read the Psalms in the Old Testament, there's a lot of Thanksgiving Psalms, a lot of times that God's people would go to the temple together and praise Him with abandon. But you also get Psalms of lament and despair. You get Psalms where this psalmist goes to God and screams at God that he is stuck in a pit. You get Psalms where the psalmist goes to God and asks God, Why are you not here? You should be, but it doesn't seem like you are. You get psalms where the psalmist goes to God and says, God, the wicked are winning. I am losing. What is going on? This verse does not call us to a shallow optimism. It doesn't tell us to say, oh, everything is fine. That is not what the Bible tells us to do with this. Now, one final point that this verse doesn't say. Romans 8 doesn't tell us that we are the ones responsible for working all things together for the good. We Americans like to get things done. We like to work hard and see the world change under our hands. And there's a lot of good to that. But there are some things that we can't change. 
Sometimes we find comfort in working hard and making the world come together right. But if we get too stuck on that, we miss the fact that God is going to make everything right. The Bible is not a self-help manual. It doesn't tell us, you can go out and you can fix the world. Romans 8.26 that we started with today tells us that we often don't even know what to pray for. There are many situations that we just look at and we have to shake our heads, hold our hands out and say, I don't know what to do with this. There are things in our lives that we can't fix. And if we lay all the burdens of the world on our own shoulders, we will be broken by them. Now, of course, we do our best to serve God. We do our best to create good in the world. But this verse doesn't tell us that it's all up to us. Romans is much more interested in what God is doing than it is in what we have to do. Verses 26 and 27 tell us that even when we don't know what to pray for or what to do, the Spirit is at work interceding for us and helping us in our weakness in accordance with God's will. We cannot work everything together for the good, but we don't have to. We don't need to put the burden on ourselves of getting everything right, of making everything work, because God's purposes will be fulfilled. God is at work. God can work even with our failures, with our backsliding, with our inconsistency, with our sin. God is at work in all things to fulfill his purposes for the good. And speaking of God's purposes, I've always had a hard time fitting together verse 28 with the verses that come after it. We have this great big comforting statement that in all things God works, to, works for the good of those who love him. And in the next verses, all of a sudden we're talking about foreknowledge and predestination and being like Christ. It's like Paul was in comfort pastoral mode and someone bumped him and he switched into existential theological heavy mode. And if you listen, when people read Romans 8, often they only read 8.28 or they read 8.28 loud and proud and then they kind of quickly skim through 29 and 30. God is called glorified. Okay. We major on verse 28, but we don't really see the connection between that verse and verses 29 and 30. But those are actually verses that fit together very well. When we read them together, when we see what they have to say to each other, we understand the whole thing better. So I'm not going to cover all the details of verses 29 and 30 today. I'm going to leave that for our next Roman sermon in a couple weeks. But tonight I want to highlight the connection between verse 28 and the verses that follow it. So you ask, or at least I'm going to pretend that you're asking, so you ask, what's the connection between verses 28 and what comes after it? Well, verses 29 and 30 explain the purpose of what God is doing in verse 28. God, verse 28 says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose, says verse 28. And then verse 29 picks up from that and continues on to say that God knew and chose people beforehand to be conformed to the image of Christ so that Christ would become the firstborn of many sons. 
God is working through all things to bring about the ultimate good that we become more and more like Christ. God's working in all things, working for the good of making us into images of Jesus Christ. God's goal in working in our lives is to make us little pictures of Jesus. God wants us to reflect his glory. He wants our life to be a small picture, a little representation or representation of what God himself is like. The purpose of God working for our good is for us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Earlier in Romans 8, we saw that God has adopted us as his children. And in this verse, we see that God is working more and more in us to develop a family resemblance. God has made us his children. Now he is making us like him. God is working all things together for the good of making a people who reflect his glory, who show what he is like. God is making each of us into an image of Jesus Christ. And if we take that and we think about what Jesus was like, we should expect suffering and we should expect glory. Jesus emptied himself of his glory as God's son. He came down into our world. He was born at the bottom. He was hungry. He suffered. He gave of himself for years and years of ministry. And then at the end of it all, he was rejected, abandoned, executed by his own people and by the authorities. Jesus, the son of God, was treated as the worst of all people. That's part of the story of how God was at work through Jesus. But for Jesus, death was not the end of the story. Jesus descended into death. He suffered, yes, but then he rose again. After the suffering came the glory. After death came a new life that Jesus now shares with all of us, his people. Jesus rose again, he ascended to heaven, and there he reigns at the right hand of God himself. Jesus has all the glory in the universe. From suffering, Jesus passed on and went up to glory. And in God's great grace, our lives too share that trajectory of moving from suffering to glory. We are moving from present suffering toward future glory. God is making us into his children. He's making us into people who look like him. Now, obviously, this isn't always pleasant. Obviously, this isn't a quick process. Obviously, there are all kinds of challenges. But that is what God is doing in our lives. We don't always see how the particular things in our life connect to that ultimate goal but Romans 8 assures us that that is what God is up to. We live with a lot of messiness, with a lot of trouble, with a lot of questions, with a lot of hard things. And sometimes we don't get the answers that we want. But in the midst of this hard journey, Romans assures us that God is at work. And it points us toward that goal of God glorifying us with his own glory. 
So even when the process is hard, even when we feel like we're being undone, God is really making all things work together for the good that we become like Jesus. So Romans 8 isn't just some empty words or some empty assurance that somehow things are going to be okay. Life is not always okay. There are terrible, hard things that happen to us that deserve to be grieved. There are things that we go to God with and we rightfully say, where are you and what are you doing? But it's precisely in that situation. It's precisely when we don't even know how to pray or when we don't even want to pray. Those are the times that Romans 8.28 really speaks to us. Romans tells, well, Romans gives us hints that we should have realistic expectations. We should expect life to be hard. But Romans 8 also gives us real hope. This is hope that you can stand on forever because God is at work through everything conforming us to his image. God has called all of us his people according to his purpose and his great purpose is to make us into images of his son Jesus. None of us are promised easy lives but we are promised that we will become like God himself. We who belong to Jesus will someday reflect God's glory, some faint shadow of that, but we will be reflections of God himself. We who suffer now with Christ will reign in glory with Christ someday. In my next Roman series, in a couple weeks, I'm going to dig more into the process that Paul mentions in verse 30 from calling to glorification. But for tonight, I'm going to wrap up with a final challenge and a final comfort. First, the challenge. What do you really expect? What do you really want from God? Do you really want to be conformed to the image of Christ? Do you really want God to be at work, to make you more like Jesus, to share God's own glory? Or do you really just want to have a safe, easy life? When we seek God, are we really seeking God's great, glorious purpose for our lives? Or are we seeking a God who just wants us to be good most of the time and he'll help us out with the tough bits? Do we want a transcendent, holy God who glorifies us? Or do we want a divine butler who does what we want and who keeps us always comfortable? These are not comfortable questions. I don't like asking them of myself. I don't like asking them of you either in many ways. But if we're going to keep growing in Christ, we need to face up to these questions. We need to ask ourselves, do we really want our will? Or do we want God's will? C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, had a chapter entitled, Nice People or New Men? And he asked this question, do we want God to make us nice people, give us nice lives, make us just good enough that we look good on the surface? Or do we want God to radically change us, to take away all the evil in our lives, no matter what it takes, and to make us glorious beings almost like God himself in some inexplicable way. What do we want? How are we going to follow God? 
So that's the challenge. But then we also have the comfort. We don't do this on our own. God is at work in all things for our good. God is completely trustworthy and he will carry us through all of our sufferings. Yeah, even the suffering you're going through right now. God will carry you through that and somehow, in a way maybe we can't explain, in a way maybe we will never see in this world, somehow God will use even this present suffering for his glory and to help us grow in him. God will accomplish what he plans for us and his plan is to make us into his likeness. May we all be encouraged as we live through the hard things that life throws at us and may we all continue to grow in the grace, the knowledge, and the family likeness of God our Father and his Son Jesus Christ.